The reading is Luke chapter 12, which can be found on page 1049, beginning at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Catherine, thanks very much for reading. Please do keep the uh, Bibles uh, open. One of our convictions here at Grace Church Dulwich is that the Bible, far from being a, a simply a kind of historical record, is in fact God's word for us. It's the means by which God speaks to us and addresses us. And therefore, I'm just going to pray and ask for his help as we uh, hear his word. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're very conscious that we live in a particular uh, city, which is a successful, wealthy city, and that we are at this very moment in a particularly wealthy and successful corner of it. And we pray, therefore, please would you help us as we look at your word together now to see what true success is and isn't. Amen. Amen. Well, imagine the scene. <clears throat> it was the retirement party of the year, held in a glittering venue with fantastic views across the city of London. He had achieved top marks in his professional exams. He was the, one of the youngest ever to be made partner of his firm. Over the years, he had reaped the rewards of success, and now, at the age of 50, he was looking forward to his retirement as he admires the views stretching out across the city of London, he thinks to himself, yes, life has been good. A fabulous house in the right parts of London, a pension pot which will secure his income into the future. He's looking forward to spending the extra time he's going to have with his wife and his family, enjoying the fruits of his labour as he divides his time between his house in London and his holiday home in the south of France. Yes, he says, life's been good. I have ample stored up for the future. 
The next thing he knows is a searing pain through his chest and he is dead before the medics arrive. The following week, there's a memorial service attended by influential city people with moving appreciations. And yet there's another verdict on his life which no one heard. God's verdict. You fool. It's a shocking story, isn't it? But actually, it's the one which we've just heard read to us from the lips of Jesus. Luke chapter 12. Seems to me it's shocking because this is precisely the person we would look at them and we'd say, yes, this person is successful. And yet God's verdict, you fool. And it begs the question, doesn't it, how can someone's life look so right and so kind of sorted as if he's got everything in place, so together, yet actually to be so wrong? How is that possible to get life so wrong? Well, it's because success blinds. Success blinds us to the reality of the presence and success blinds us to the reality of the future. And we're just going to spend the next few moments or so thinking about each of those two things in turn. Firstly, success blinds us to the reality of the presence. And if you've got your Bible open, just have a look again at Luke chapter 12, page 1049, and uh, sentence number 16 to 19. And Jesus told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods, laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, we're not told whether success had made this man happy. And yet, of course, like so many successful people, his success clearly isn't enough, as he has his plans to build bigger and bigger barns. And he certainly thinks success is going to bring him happiness, as he looks forward to his future retirements, when he can relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, I'm very conscious that those of us in this room, I guess we will all uh, perhaps describe success in different ways. For some of us, it may be the success of career or wealth. For others, we might think of it more in terms of family life or having the time and space to pursue our uh, hobbies or, or sports or getting top exam results or having lots of friends or the success which then enables us to go on lots of holidays. We'll define, I guess, success in different ways. But however we define it, does it really make us happy? Think of Marilyn Monroe. She was one of Hollywood's biggest stars, an estimated net worth of $27 million. And yet, despite her enormous fortune, she was deeply unhappy. She was married three times, all three ended in divorce. The final years of her life were uh, filled with poor health. She died at the age of 36. Or more recently, think of Elon Musk, the owner of the Tesla car company. He's speaking, spoken of his deep unhappiness. 
his enslavement to his work, which, while he admits that, actually he's unwilling to change. He has no intention of altering. Or J.K. Rowling, the woman behind Harry Potter, the woman who brought joy to millions, and yet she admits having felt deep despair writing her novels. Or the singer, Billy. Eilish, describing the feeling success brought, she said, you're basically miserable half the time. Or the actor Robin Williams, who committed suicide in 2014, all it takes is a beautiful fake smile to hide an injured soul, and they will never notice how broken you really are. Success by itself doesn't lead to happiness. And not just those who are successful and famous. In a recent US survey, 92%, 92% of high achievers said they were unhappy. As Andrew said earlier, you, you never end up satisfied. There's always another inner circle that you need to get yourself into. And notice as well that wealth certainly hasn't made the person in the crowd who asked Jesus this question, happy. The man who says in sentence 13, who says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Wealth has just brought him a family dispute about inheritance. And yet Jesus' reply reveals this far, the far bigger problem with success is that it blinds us to the reality of what matters most. Because the fact is that life is not about the accumulation of stuff. As Jesus says in sentence 15, life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. In other words, this man is a prime example of how not to do life. You know, life is not, a, is not like some kind of TV game show when the person who has the most is the winner. Jesus says the same thing at the end of our reading in sentence 23. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. But what does he mean by that? Well, I think the clue comes in verse 21. Sentence 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Everything that you and I have is a gift from God. He made the world, a good world, an abundant world, a world full of beauty, full of opportunity. And he gives us stuff, indeed, he gives us life itself, not to serve ourselves, but instead to serve him, to be rich towards him. And yet instead, just like the man in the story, what do we naturally do? We naturally serve ourselves. Just have a look again at uh, the way the man speaks to himself in sentence verses 18 and 19 and how he is so kind of, he's obsessed. It, it's just, it's I, 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 verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, be merry. 
kind of as he, as he thinks and, and plans, God doesn't get a look in. God isn't mentioned. He lives as if God isn't there. Now that is a common mistake, but it's also a very foolish one because God really is there. It's why elsewhere in the Bible we're told it's the fool who says in his heart that there is no God. Because God is there and he's made himself known. I mean, just think about Christmas. <laughs> Every year we celebrate, don't we, the fact that God has come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, that God's not a mystery. He's made himself known. If you want to hear more on that, then do pick it up in the question time. And therefore, to live as if God isn't there is the heart, is at the heart of what the Bible calls sin. It's funny, isn't it? I guess we uh, kind of instinctively, we hear the word sin, and perhaps we immediately think of the uh, front page of the tabloid newspapers. Well, it may not be quite so much today, because Gary Lineker, I guess, is all over the uh, front page newspapers today. But generally speaking, we think, you know, big crimes, front page of the tabloid newspapers. And we say to ourselves, it's other people who are the sinners, and not me. And yet Jesus says we all are. It's his diagnosis of what is wrong with humanity. In other words, it's not just the angry atheists like Richard Dawkins who live as if God isn't there. Actually, we all do by nature if we are honest with ourselves. We live our lives without any meaningful reference to God. We may believe in God and yet actually functionally in terms of day-to-day we live our lives without him. As we take God, God's gifts, but we ignore the giver. Despite the fact that we've been created by him and created for relationship with him. That is why success by itself doesn't lead to happiness. And it's why Jesus is the answer to this whole question of satisfaction. Because you and I are not made to be rich towards ourselves. We're made to be rich towards God. You and I are made for relationship with God. And it's lovely to hear earlier, wasn't it, something from Andrew of how he came to put his trust in Jesus for himself. So that's the first thing. Success blinds us to the reality of the present Secondly, success blinds us to the reality of the future. Have a look again at sentence number 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Ultimately, this man failed to understand that his life was not his own. Rather, that it's something for which we have to give an account. And so, although he had planned for the future, you know, I'm going to build bigger barns and bigger barns, actually his future planning didn't take him far enough. He failed to plan for the judgment. I guess he may have believed in the afterlife in some sense. And yet the tragedy is he heads out into eternity and he is completely unprepared. You see, he makes the mistake of thinking he's in control. 
And at that point, all his plans are cancelled at a stroke. Because, of course, to lose one's soul is to lose everything. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Well, surely he is saying that death is not the end. And although the idea of there being a judgment and a judgment day is unpopular in our culture, as it is, of course, in every culture, actually the alternative is far worse. The alternative is a God who doesn't care, a God who is indifferent to all that's wrong with the world, a God who turns a blind eye. After all, we want, don't we, our government to act justly whenever there's some case of injustice or in the police, we want there to be justice. How much more do we want God to be a God who acts justly? And therefore, the reason Jesus tells this story is as a warning. And like all warnings, it's an act of kindness. So we can take action and not make the same mistake that this man made, living as if this life is all there is to live for. I wonder if you've watched the film United 93. It's a few years old now, directed by Paul Greengrass. It's the story of what happens when America was attacked, the 9-11 attacks. What happened to the plane that didn't reach its destination and crashed short of its target? And it's an extraordinarily powerful film to watch because, of course, we as the listeners know how the film is going to end. And the film demonstrates there's a world of difference between feeling fine and being fine. The majority of passengers on the plane that day looked as if life was pretty good. It was a wonderfully uh, sunny day, someone uh, flying off on a business trip to clinch that key business deal, uh, someone else off on a sunny holiday somewhere, uh, someone else off to see um, a relative or a friend, a loved one. And yet there's a world of difference between feeling fine and happy and being fine. And one of the great problems with success is it can make us feel that life is fine when it isn't, which makes it very hard to think about death and, of course, even harder to think about life after death. And yet it's why Jesus came. The reason Jesus came into the world, God himself coming into the world, was to offer the forgiveness of sins, to offer life with God, the very life that we are made for, life with God both in this world and life with God in the next. It's what Easter's all about. We'll get to Easter in a few weeks' time, but on Good Friday, Jesus died on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the dead, never to die again, which means death isn't the end. As Patasha said, we've got a, our Easter service coming up. I think you've probably been given an invitation card. Uh, we'd love you to join us as we ask the question, was the resurrection of Jesus fact or fiction? Fact or fiction? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then he's still dead. There's no life beyond the grave. We might as well live in this world just like the man in our story. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, 
never to die again, why it changes everything. It means that Jesus is Lord and King. It means that he will return at the end of time, just as he said he will do. It means he's the judge of all. And of course it means that death is not the end. So then what does it mean to be rich towards God? Well, it certainly doesn't mean kind of buying God off by going to church or giving to charity or something like that. No, being rich towards God is the opposite of what our man does in the story. It's recognizing that God is God. That is the thing he failed to do. It's recognizing that we have to give an account. It's recognizing that we all fall short. It's what the man failed to do. And then wonderfully, it's turning to Jesus Christ and it's putting our trust in him. It's beginning a new life following him as Lord and King. In short, it's what it means to become a Christian. Now, someone was here last week and they asked, they asked, um, they didn't ask me, they asked someone else, why do you keep going on at Grace Church about Jesus? And now I can tell you that because I know they're not here today, they were just visiting. Um, <laughs> although they've been enough times, obviously, to ask the why do you keep banging on about Jesus question. But I hope we can see why we do. It's why if you've never really investigated the claims of Jesus Christ, we'd love you to do so. And we'd love to do you to do so as an adult if you've never done that. There really is far too much at stake not to do so. It's very easy, I think, to have a kind of a Sunday school view of Jesus. We'd love you to have an adult view of Jesus. And Patasha will say more later on about how we can do that. Well, for those of us who do know Jesus already, this story Jesus tells is a wonderful corrective for us, isn't it? Many of us are surrounded by successful people. Successful people at school, successful people at work, successful people in our friendship groups. And yet success by itself doesn't lead to happiness and it doesn't lead to satisfaction. In the famous words of Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Let's, those of us who know Jesus, let's keep rejoicing in him and make sure our hearts are focused on him rather than on being successful and instead on being rich towards God. Let me lead us in prayer. Let's pray. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus coming into our world, God himself coming into our world, speaking the very words of God. And we want to take this story he told to heart Thank you that he rose from the dead. Thank you that there is more to life simply than this life. Thank you that there is a reality beyond the grave. And we pray, Heavenly Father, please would you help us to trust these words of Jesus and to live in the light of them. And we ask it in his name. Amen. <laughs>